Namaste, everyone, and welcome to the Jai Bhakti Yoga podcast, where we share information on all things yoga, Ayurveda, and well-being lifestyle. I am excited to share these resources, insights, interviews, and so much more as we grow together on this wonderful journey of well-being. I am your host, Christina Andrini, founder of Jai Bhakti Yoga Foundation and JBYU School of Yoga and Ayurveda. I'd like to invite you to subscribe to our blog on Tumblr, as well as to follow us on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook and all the fun social media channels where we share some of the tips and insights and resources from our podcast and vice versa on here. Now let's go ahead and begin with today's episode. Hi. <laughs> Tatiana um, is going to share with us today quite a bit of um, information about our Hispanic Americans and substance abuse. And before we jump into that, I just wanted to go through a very quick reminder of what we've been discussing over the last few weeks. And when it comes to mental health, our communities often see it as the big elephant in the room. We refuse to embrace it due to the stigma amongst all races and nationalities. Yet certain groups like the Hispanic Latinx community further stigmatize mental health in part due to the resilient nature and ability to always seek solutions for problems by, for ourselves or by ourselves instead of leaning for others or to others for help and assistance. Black and uh, Latino communities with mental health disorders have been known to rely on substances outside themselves to quote unquote numb the pain. And here is where many suffer in silence, fostering substance abuse, which has not only led to addiction, but has also gone as far as to lead to incarceration, homelessness, and severe depression. And that in and of itself is an isolation uh, for one's self. Today, Tatiana shares statistics and facts found through research analysis of not only the American Addiction Center, but also from the National Institute on Drug Abuse, as well as SAMHSA, which is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health uh, Services. So Tatiana, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the floor. Go ahead All right. and take it away. Thank you, Christina. I think um, something that we need to mention is how incredibly important it is to talk about substance use, especially when it comes to the holidays, because we do see an increase of substance use around the holidays. It's a period of overindulgence and also a really a time that can be really overwhelming for some people, especially, you know, have we've talked about sometimes we have to see people that we, you know, are not comfortable, you know, seeing. And one thing I found really interesting is according to the CDC, um, the most dangerous time of the year for alcohol and drug-related deaths is actually December, January, and March. So it's so important to talk about, you know, substance use and the prevalence that, you know, it has on people who, you know, especially have a mental illness, because we'll get into that as well. Um, and just some more facts around substance use during the holidays. We know that 29% of adults tend to drink more during the holidays. 84% of us are more stressed. Again, this can be like because of financial struggles, 
um, being with family that we're not used to being with or just having more family. There's just more stress during the holidays, which is ironic because you would think it's a time to rest, but 80% of us feel more stress. And for people in recovery, the holidays are a really difficult time. You know, you're around a lot of substances. People might not know that you're in recovery and pressure you to want to drink. So 94% of respondents in recovery actually said that they felt moderately or or severely stressed um, throughout the holidays. So just wanted to keep that in mind as we have these discussions, how the holidays can play a toll for people who are in recovery or are, you know, not in recovery and just and struggling with substance use, especially with the pandemic. Um, if you're isolated, you can't see family or friends, you might tend to lean more, you know, to substances to kind of cope and recoup, but we'll see how that's not really um, a healthy way to uh, cope. So now we can kind of dive into um, talking about statistics for the Hispanic and Latinx community. So it's interesting because substance use mirrors similarly to the American population, um, to the overall population, excuse me. So 7.1% of Hispanic and Latinx Americans actually have a substance use disorder, and that's compared to 7.4% of the total population. So it's very similar. 3% of Hispanic and Latinx communities, uh, Latinx Americans have an illicit drug use disorder, which is actually the same rate as the total population. Again, that's something that I found very interesting. And Hispanic and Latinx Americans actually report lower rates of lifetime illicit use than Europeans at 54.5% and African Americans at 459 Latinx um, and Hispanic Americans use illicit substances throughout their lifetime at 37.7%. And we see that rates of alcohol dependence at 5.3%, binge drinking at 24.6% among Hispanics are similar to those of European Americans and slightly higher than um, African Americans. So we tend to binge drink more than um, other populations. So those are just some facts that um, have to do with the overall population. But it's very interesting once we dive into, you know, like we have talked about previously, we are a very diverse group of people. You know, we don't just expand in one region. We are all over. So within our population, you know, there's a really significant amount of differences with um, substance use. So Puerto Ricans actually have the highest rate of illicit drug use and South Americans have the lowest. Uh, Puerto Ricans also have the highest rate of recent marijuana use, while Cubans and South Americans have the lowest. Um, other Hispanic and Latinx uh, populations, including those from speaking Spanish-speaking countries other than Puerto Rico, Mexico, Cuba, Central America, and South America have the highest recent cocaine use, and wow. Cubans have the lowest. Um, and then we also, once we're diving deeper, we see that Puerto Rican men and women tend to be the heaviest drinkers of all Hispanic Latinx Americans. Um, so they are three times more likely to develop alcohol use disorders. So that's really interesting to me because, you know, like I said, it just kind of further breaks it down. And a lot of this is because Puerto Rican culture tends to start drinking at an earlier age and kind of normalizing um, drinking at a very early age. And there's also less stigma concerning alcohol in Puerto Rico than in other Hispanic subgroups. 
but I find that interesting because I know in Mexico we are always around alcohol. Like I, I joke that quinceañeras have an open bar. It's just common in our culture. So it's definitely something that we need to, you know, consider, especially for those who are predisposed to, you know, having addiction, having, you know, substance use related struggles. And jump in real quick because I laughed a little bit because I'm Puerto Rican. And I just got back from Puerto Rico. We just did the live last week from Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. But you can hear the background of that video. You can actually hear quite a lot of activity going on. And for this reason, it's like we're celebrating every single Mm -hmm. day. And that also happened to be the week of Thanksgiving or just about the week of Thanksgiving. So we're making coquito, riconcito, and everybody is indulging in the holiday drink. Yeah. Yeah, so I can definitely see that. And what I also find very interesting when it comes to substance abuse, especially alcoholism, is because of Europe. Because when I went to Europe and I was in France, mm-hmm. the drinking age is very, it's almost, it's just non-existent. You right. can just go to the wine shop and just like you're buying groceries, get the bottle of wine for your family because you're going to have that for dinner in Italy as well. They just, well, we have Mm-hmm. pasta depending on the pasta you're going to have a certain wine do you think that maybe it's based on the way that they're brought up as well in these different cultures that they, they probably nurture it differently in europe versus how we nurture it especially in puerto rico being so carefree that mm-hmm. this is maybe something that contributes to why of all latin american and hispanic cultures that the puerto ricans would be the most uh, mm-hmm. partyable. <laughs> well, like this one said, I think, you know, in the study, it said that there's just less stigma concerning mm-hmm. heavy alcohol use. So it could be that, you know, they're just used to drinking more and drinking at heavy quantities at one time versus others who just drink maybe a glass of wine with their pasta. It's not necessarily, you know, constant drinking for, but it's also a cultural thing, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, it's just yeah. cultural in our communities to drink with every meal or drink just like as a social event. So we do have to be very careful about, you know, how we're raising kids, like how they're perceiving alcohol, just so that they're not, you know, already predisposed from a young age to substance use. Especially um, generational because we're noticing also that parents are younger and the younger the parents are, the more that mindset and the mentality mm-hmm. is, it's like babies having babies. And so when we're not in a space of maybe the old ways of being, of moderation, that can also contribute to this extreme high rise of mm-hmm. dependency of substance abuse, specifically in the Puerto Rican culture. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, I've always found it very interesting that you can be predisposed to addiction, even if you, so like, for example, me, like we have a history of addiction in our family. So that already makes me predisposed through genetics. So it's super interesting. Wow. So considering like how genetics play, you're already predisposed to being, you know, more likely to abuse substances. So keeping that in mind, you know, if you know that you're predisposed to, you know, could develop an addiction, like be more careful with, you know, what you're intaking, like who you're surrounding yourself with, because it's, it's sad, but like I said, it, it's genetics too. You're already predisposed to certain addictions in certain ways, just from the way that your families in the past, um, you know, dealt with alcohol or drugs. So I've always found that super interesting as well. 
um, how genetics play with substance use. Um, so, and then similar when it comes to treatment, it's very similar to like we talked about in with mental health. So when it comes to wanting to seek treatment, Hispanic and Latinx Americans have less access to substance use treatment and actually have to wait longer to receive that treatment compared to non-Hispanics and Latinx. So we already see those barriers, again, um, similar to what we talked about previously come into play when it comes to receiving treatment for alcohol use. Um, so 91% of Hispanic and Latinx Americans, according to SAMHSA, with a substance use disorder were unable to receive treatment that they needed in a special facility. So that's pretty um, a startling statistic that 91% of our community who tried to receive help was unable to. And then again, those who did receive treatment did not fare as well as the um, other populations and had poorer outcomes. And I think again, you know, similar to what we talked about before, it's because our centers are not culturally competent to handle, you know, the way that we perceive mental health issues or substance use issues. So tailoring our cultural um, aspects, like our family structures, like we said, gender roles, personal relationships, spirituality and religion, like alter putting that all as part of the treatment process would be very successful. But, you know, through conversations like this is why we're trying to do this um, so that we have more culturally competent programs out there. Because right now, 91% of people who have a substance use disorder who are Hispanic or Latinx can't access it. And I think that is very startling, um, you know, especially because a lot of us are struggling with substance use. So as a very startling statistic that I kind of read and found about. That is startling. And, and it's something that also creates a lot of awareness for us because mm -hmm. culturally competent programs, especially within the Latino communities, are very hard to find. There's not enough bilingual instructors, teachers, uh, program directors. And for the most part, they either speak all Spanish or English or another language more fluently mm -hmm. and being able to adapt and also understand like we had talked about in the very very beginning on our very first uh, our very first podcast our very first show we talked about the language barriers and we talked about not having enough access mm -hmm. to these resources and being able to put them together and I know I have a little bit of a notation here um because of seeing this and understanding this specific and this conversation today is very, very important because it doesn't only just impact the Latin and Hispanic communities, mm -hmm. it also impacts everybody. And we're just highlighting um, for the sake of uh, Compartiendo Esperanza that we are noticing it in our Latin and Latin communities and Hispanic communities, but we also, we're not blindsided by that we also see it in all of mm. our communities. And circling back to what Tatiana just said, um, December, January, and March. And the reason for that is most likely because we're in the holiday season preparing for the new year. Mm. And when we're during the holiday season, we're preparing for the new year, we have 
like we just talked about the coquito, we have the wines, we have the riconcito, we have all the drinks that we make traditionally within our culture. We also offer it as a gift because mm-hmm. we're home. The most of the time, it's homemade and it's made with lots of love. Sorry, I can slip on here, and lots of love. And we want to share that with everybody. And in so doing that, just like we talked about in a few other episodes before, when we are sharing these gifts, a lot of the time, it's hard for us to say no to our family members Mm -hmm. because we don't want to upset them and then cause friction and then cause something else. So it's a very fine line. Um, And Tatiana and I speak from our own experiences because we both come from Hispanic backgrounds. So we know the walking on eggshells type Mm -hmm. of feeling when we go see our family members that we do have a little bit of a riff with because we don't want to disappoint. And then we don't want to have to go through those motions over and over again each time. So Mm -hmm. creating those healthy boundaries and knowing how to stand in our truth and be able to say no with confidence is one thing that we have to work on as a collective whether it's Hispanic or not. When we go into January, we're celebrating the Hispanic culture, not just the new year, but the Three Kings Day. And so we're celebrating Three Kings. We're celebrating Carnival in in Brazil and also in New Orleans and all over the world (laughs) that does celebrate um, Carnival season, Fat Tuesday. So the debauchery and everything going with it happens on these days. And then we bring Mm -hmm. up March, and March is, as we all know, is St. Patty's Day. And St. Patty's Day, everybody's Irish, no matter what mm-hmm. background you are. And so we're also taking in, and I know one of the points is beer. A lot yes. of beer. I mean, beer is the number one for, I mean, every single country has their own beer. Mm-hmm. Every single one. And Latin America has multiple and yeah. so this is another, and it's also so very accessible to children and to the younger adults and, and the teenagers because of its packaging and its effluency, just go in the fridge mm-hmm. and get it. Grandpa's going to give you a sip anyway. So, you know, we, we have this that we're working through and working towards. Mm-hmm. So in order to cope with these um, stigmas, it's important to actually find programs and groups to help and assist with that. I know NAMI offers programs for substance abuse and can also provide resources and tools to support anyone that is silently suffering Mm -hmm. with this and and don't want to share it. And that's okay. We respect your privacy and we want to honor that. But if you are, and we always want these to be interactive and you want to open up and share with us on these calls, you're more than welcome to, and we won't share your name, but we will share what you're mentioning so that we can address it as we're going on through the conversation mm-hmm. this morning. And when it comes to programs, there I know we here at Jai Bhakti Yoga Foundation, we offer meditation, we offer yoga, and we offer holistic health practices and mentoring in both English and Spanish, uh, bilingual, as well as on our YouTube and on our Instagram right here on IGTV Live. We have a series of tutorials that can help you with reestablishing your own inner peace and balance while you're working through coping with your own addictions. Because a lot of the times, um, the stigma goes well beyond the, as we, you know, pray about it, pray it away, like we talked about before, just pray it away, you know, give it to God. And as much as we want to give it to God, we also have to do the work. 
Mm-hmm. We, have, we have to do the work. We have to face the struggles and we have to face these consciously. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, um, I want to offer that yoga is more than just the physical practice. And yoga is really navigating your true essence and discovering yourself, your liberation that we talked about before, Mm -hmm. finding the liberation within yourself to be free from these experiences that you're going through on a daily. And maybe yoga becomes your new addiction. It's not a bad one to have, right? It's not a bad one to have. And it's actually really good in a way to give yourself this time to meditate, to move physically, move the energy Mm -hmm. through the various practices so that you're able to, at the end of the practice, notice how you feel, you know, notice how you felt before and notice how you felt afterward. And I know that men have quite the aversion to doing yoga because they think it's more feminine. It's very girly. And there's a lot of, of, of men in the Latino culture that avoid it altogether because they want that to be just for their wife or their girlfriend or their friend. It's not for them. But there is a series. I have a summit that I did. Uh, it's called Men of Empowerment, Men of Yoga and Empowerment. And some of these men are not yoga practitioners, but they utilize other methodologies such as drumming, um, such as chanting, singing, art to express themselves as their yoga. And mm-hmm. so it's well worth checking out. It's 100% free. Just go to YouTube, Jai Bhakti Yoga Foundation and check them out. These men are very inspiring and they come from every single background, black, Latino, white, Asian, they're all there and you can absolutely connect with them as well. And as a male or someone that identifies as a male, it's really worth reaching out to them. Their contact information is there as mm-hmm. well. And they too will provide you with resources for your own personal development. I like to think that if we begin to make community connections with leaders and Hispanic chambers of commerce within our own um, unique Uh, countries and cities and states, then we can see an evolution of resources that we didn't know existed just by contacting these local agencies, especially including NAMI. We have NAMI Louisiana. I know NAMI is nationwide as well. So it's really Mm -hmm. worth checking them out and getting your hands onto these resources, because this is where you will be able to find Hispanic-speaking providers or Hispanic-speaking, Spanish-speaking providers that are going to be able to connect with you within your respective communities. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for letting Mm -hmm. me share that. Of course. (laughs) So, you know, also when it comes to substance use, we know that people who have like mental health disorders and problems are more likely to abuse substances. And that's called a dual diagnosis when you have a substance use disorder and a mental health disorder. Um, A lot of people who have mental health disorders tend to use substances to kind of cope with their um, symptoms. Sometimes if you're not properly diagnosed and you don't have the proper medication or your proper treatment, you tend to use substances to kind of cope with what is occurring in your mind, kind of numb the pain, as we say. Um, that's a lot of in our cultures, just overall, like alcohol is kind of used to numb the pain away. 
um, which is a very unhealthy way to view alcohol, but that's the way our cultures have always viewed it. Um, and we know also like certain drugs can ca- can cause people to experience certain symptoms that one would with a mental health disorder. So I know that right now we're seeing a lot of teens who are using um, heavily potent marijuana are actually having psychotic episodes um, from using, he- you know, with heavily potent um, marijuana use and then, you know, just having those symptoms that are like a mental health um, disorder. So it's very interesting how certain drugs can cause your brain to go into psychosis. So it's really, you have to be very careful about what you're putting into your body um, just because it can trigger something that you do not want um, to be experiencing. And um, like I said, a lot of people who have a mental health problem, unfortunately, use substances as a way to kind of self-medicate. You know, we've heard it a lot from some of our peers, just how it brings kind of comfort to their life, but it also can lead to very reckless um, decisions in the end. And it's important, too, because like uh, mental health disorders, substance use disorders share some underlying causes. So you're, like I said, it's, it changes your brain deposition, genetic vulnerabilities. Like I was talking about, you can be already genetically vulnerable to experiencing addiction in your life or experiencing a mental health disorder, which is unfortunate because I think a lot of the times when we view people who have a mental illness or a mental or a substance use disorder, we kind of see them as like outcasts or, you know, what's wrong with you and something that I've always loved and kind of has have recently to change my way of thinking about like the problems in society is not what's wrong with you, but like what has happened to you that has led you to develop a substance use disorder. Because, you know, I think we need to start viewing substance use disorders and mental health disorders as not taboo anymore and rather uplift people with substance use um, disorders so that then they feel empowered to receive help because society already makes them feel so powerless because of the stigmas associated with it. Um, so it's very important to understand that maybe they were genetically predisposed since childhood to develop a substance use disorder. You know, maybe their father was an alcoholic and their grandfather, and they just grew up accustomed to, you know, having a beer as a kid or having, you know, drinking, and then they developed an alcohol um, disorder, or maybe they had a really traumatic event in their life that altered their brain and can only cope with substances to get through that, you know, those hard moments. So, you know, it's always important to consider the person first when, you know, seeing someone who's struggling, because I think as society, we tend to be really nasty towards people who have substance use um, disorders and mental illness disorders overall. And um, that it just creates so much shame. It, it makes exactly. them not want to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think especially, you know, like we have talked about in the Latinx and Hispanic community where we just really want to shut everything down, like we're just going with everything that we don't really, you know, want to look at the issue for what it is. And we just kind of let it pass by until unfortunately it's, you know, too late. Um, And then we just keep creating that level of distrust with that individual where they might not want to come to us to seek help um, when they really need it the most. So it's just important to have these conversations to make it less taboo because a lot of people, you know, are struggling with substance use, especially with the pandemic. You know, we did see an increase in alcohol sales. Um, So it's just important to note that a lot of people are are struggling um, with using substances to self-cope with what they are 
you know, feeling. And even on another note, we've seen like the wine culture, like the wine mom <laughs> culture where you, it's like normalized to drink a bottle of wine, you know, at, at the end of the night, like that's shouldn't be normalized. And it's something that we should talk about because it's an unhealthy way to cope with your emotions, you know, having that, you know, I laugh about it, but like drinking a bottle of wine when you get home from work, like that's not, you know, very healthy. We need to address what the underlying problems are, you know, before we reach that level where we are using substances to cope, you know, with what we're feeling. And other, you know, people, people who have, um, mental illnesses. Um, like I said, one in four adults living with a serious mental illness end up abusing substances. And those who are more frequent to abuse substances are people who have depression, anxiety disorders, schizophrenia, or um, personality disorders. So they're more likely to experience uh, substance use disorders. And people who have severe mental illness, um, like schizophrenia, 50 per- 50% of people with severe mental illness will um, be affected by substance use at some point in their life, which is a really startling number, but it goes to show maybe like the, in, um, like they can't access the services to actually help them, you know, receive proper care, or they have the stigma that causes them to want to self-medicate because they don't want to come forward to their families. So it's, you know, it's important to know, you know, why the reason why behind these startling statistics, when we talk about them to put a face with the numbers, you know, I always want to say, um, and then 37% of alcohol abusers and 53% of drug abusers also have at least one serious mental illness. So people, like I said, again, people who are already abusing alcohol or using drugs might have an untreated mental illness that they're coping with. So it's always just important to understand, you know, why these people might be abusing substances and that it maybe wasn't just a choice to start. It was something that they needed to survive um, to kind of cope with what they were feeling. Um, and then of all people who are diagnosed as mentally ill, 29% abuse alcohol or drugs. So that's just another, you know, startling statistic of how prevalent substance use and alcohol and drug use is in people, in our in people who are mentally ill. Um, so it's something that we need to kind of talk about as a whole community overall. Have you found at NAMI um, here in Louisiana, have you had any interesting situations come through the doors there that you've had to address or provide some support for when when this has happened? I'm not sure how the protocol is here. Mm-hmm. Well, we do. Um, we do notice a lot. Some peers um, who were, you know, who didn't experience substance use before, like start experiencing substance use. We have a lot of family members call that their loved ones are, you know, abusing or using substances. So we do offer like support groups for both peers and family members um, that are confidential. They're free. And right now they're online. So you can just log in and kind of find that support. And we also have classes. So NAMI doesn't specifically deal with just substance use. But like I said, because it goes so hand in hand, a lot of our families experience, you know, loved ones who are using substances to try to cope or peers, you know, notice it within themselves and try to reach help through our support groups and our classes that we offer as well. But we have seen an uptick um, with substance use since the pandemic. Are you finding any, um, do you offer any classes that have to do with educating on how to do an intervention? 
Yeah, so we do. We have um, peer-to-peer, which is meant for peers who have a mental illness. And we have family-to-family, which is a eight-week course. So it's peer-to-peer that family members can take. Um, And in that course, you kind of go over like how to talk to your loved one, what to expect. It's a really good course. It's actually um, uh, evidence-based. So it's been proven to help families, you know, have less anxiety when confronting their, um, uh, you know, their family members who have a substance use. So we do offer those. Our affiliates offer those. So NAMI New Orleans, NAMI St. Tammany, um, NAMI Acadiana, and NAMI Baton Rouge offer support groups. And NAMI Ruston will be offering them too. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And if you can't join any from Louisiana, like we, there's some across, like I think family to family is even offered in different countries. So it's, it's throughout, you know, and like I said, they're all virtual. So you can join wherever right now, which is the beauty of being virtual is you can join whatever state you want, you know, anonymous. That's incredible. Isn't that incredible? I mean, mm. you have access at your fingertips right here right. on the screen. It's just, it's wonderful to be able to have the resources that we once thought we lacked. Mm-hmm. Now we have access to. Exactly. And they are all free. So you don't have to worry about, you know, paying for the support group or paying for, you know, your um, materials for the family to family or peer to peer, you know, we provide that for you um, to support you. That, that right there is so incredible. That's a blessing. Free 95 is what I like to write. I'm actually writing it in the comments. Free 95. (laughs) Go and check that out because that's really important. You know, it's Mm -hmm. because it comes back to what we're going to get into right now is denial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Comes right back to denial. I don't have a problem. I don't mm-hmm. have a problem. Can we talk about that? Yeah, I think a lot, especially when it comes to people who have a mental illness, it's actually a word I can't pronounce it. It's very long, but it's, you know, you're like, you can't, you don't realize you're mentally ill or you don't realize you're in an episode. Um, so you're often in denial that you have, that something is not right with you. And it's really difficult for family members or yourself to convince you to get help. And also like with that stigma, especially in our communities, you know, always wanting to be tough or always wanting to be, you know, providing for the family. Like we're denying that we're, you know, using substances or that we're having, you know, mental health um, struggles. Resiliency. Our resilience. Yeah, that resilience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we make our own blocks. Exactly. So there is a lot of denial when it comes to, you know, admitting that you have a substance use problem or admitting that you have a mental health disorder. Um, you know, I, I know that there was that show. I don't know if you've watched it. Flight Attendant um, on no. HBO. It's great. But she struggles through with substance use. And like throughout the whole point, like she's denying that she has it until she reaches like a breaking point where she realizes, you know, there was parts of her life that caused her to develop that substance use. But it's just, it's very interesting because it shows like how in denial you are of your own struggles and why sometimes you do need someone to open up and say, you know, I'm here for you and we can get through this together. Um, You know, especially like I said, with that resiliency, you're just trying to push through, but sometimes you do need, um, you know, intervention to help you get better. This, this is a good point because you mentioned that, you know, being afraid, the, the biggest one here, I highlighted here also, because y'all are going to see this on the blog later, is that key phrase, viewed as weak if you mm-hmm. admit you have a problem. I think 
you are actually stronger than you realize mm-hmm. and more powerful than you think. That's my mantra. I've always mm-hmm. said it to all my students and I will forever say it because you are when you admit what your weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. Your greatest strength that you have is to admit where you are falling short to achieving your higher self, mm-hmm. achieving your dharma, your purpose. And if it is that, oh, I am, I am, I am. And I am challenged right now with marijuana or cocaine or alcohol or wine o'clock. <laughs> These are areas of growth and you're growing. And so the statement here is the embodiment of the double-edged sword. Because this is why we're stuck in that loop. We're afraid to admit our weaknesses because we're afraid of the stigma that goes along with it, while at the same time holding up the wall of being resilient and strong Mm -hmm. and showing up for ourselves in a very different way. But with the closed door, we're behind the scenes addicted to something that's trying to keep us going. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, like the flight attendant, it comes crashing down on you yeah right it comes crashing down on you Mm -hmm. and this is an area where the resources that we're talking about are here to empower you be it yoga meditation everything that we all offer along with all the other resources that you will be provided with because your biggest strength is to acknowledge and admit and meet yourself where you are right now Mm -hmm. You know, this is not a change that's going to happen overnight. You are going to backslide. This is known through all addiction recovery centers. Everybody knows this. It does happen. And when it does happen, this is not where you go into the shame mode Mm -hmm. and hide from it. This is where you reach out to these support systems and say, hey, man, I slipped up. I backslid and I did meet up with some friends of mine and, and... went to the heroin house or what have you, whatever you, you call it. This is a place where you are able to be safe and be held and know that what you're going through is not by yourself. There are many others that are going through it too. And that, that fear is, is preventing you from facing and educating, mm-hmm. acknowledging and realizing where you are right now when you're putting up those blockages because you're afraid of being ashamed or shamed mm-hmm. or stigma or judged. And there's no one else that, no one can judge you. There, no one should judge you because are they also looking at themselves too? So always consider that as a collective, these resources and these moments of challenges with substance abuse does lead to if not treated and if not taken care of will ultimately over time become such an addiction Mm -hmm. that it can it can ruin your life if you don't reach out for the help that is needed Mm -hmm. and there's one thing to reach out to help and then lean on someone to help you. But it's also important to find the strength within yourself to lean on yourself and be able to overcome them. Because if not, what ends up happening, which we see every single day is you end up incarcerated. And then when you leave the incarceration, you don't know what to do because like we just talked about, there aren't programs in Mm -hmm. these facilities to help you 
overcome this. And so it's either going to an institution that will help you, but having the courage enough to take that first step to go to that place when you get out. And the other is finding a tent and being homeless and living and choosing to be in that life, which we have seen Mm. and which we've had conversations about and have spoken to homeless people about their choices because the addictions are so strong that it prevents them from getting out of that lifestyle to seek something higher. And so this is a very, very, very heavy topic because it's something that we're addressing as a collective but it's also something that needs to be spoken about. We don't want to hide it because we don't mm-hmm. want you to hide. That's why we're bringing it up. Exactly. Are there any resources you want to share with us aside from what we've talked about so far that we can also encourage them to, to seek? Mm-hmm. Well, um, like we said, uh, Latinx therapy is great to find. Um, different therapists online um, that are culturally competent. Our Compartiendo Esperanza, um, there's videos that you can watch with your families to bring up how to have these discussions. They're like three-minute videos. They're really good just to talk about, you know, what we're discussing. Um, We also have Mental Health America, which has those great worksheets that you can actually print and fill out to have those discussions. It's I love them. They're really great just to kind of help you gather your thoughts. Um, like next therapy, there's also via link that you can call here in Louisiana, um, dial 211 and that can connect you to the right resources um, as well. And then I also want to say we have put together, NAMI has put together a survey, a poll and We've been putting it out every week. We really want to encourage you to fill out this poll, share your voice. You can do it anonymously. And this will give us so much more insight on ways that we can assist as well in providing you the proper resources, Mm -hmm. as well as topics that we need to cover and address along with the evidence-based and statistical facts to help you as you move along your journey, be it individually or if this is your profession and this is where you're, you're, you're navigating, then we want to be able to provide whatever it means necessary to help you along that journey as you're mm-hmm. growing. Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. Cause I think we're just trying to say we're here for you. Um, you know, there are resources out there. It just takes that first step to get help, the help that you need and have that vulnerability to admit that you're not okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Tatiana, is there anything else you'd like to, to add before we end our time together today? No, it's just, it's been a pleasure to do these um, conversations with you, Christina. Thank you so much for having NAMI Louisiana on your Instagram lives. And I look forward to doing more in the future. Thank you. And I'm so grateful and honored to have been um, outreached and spoken to with you all and, and to talk to you all. NAMI is, um, has been on my radar for such a long time, mm-hmm. for over five years. I've wanted to partner with NAMI and, and will always want to partner with NAMI, <laughs> offering programs and um, talks like these, information that will reach out to our Latinx, Hispanic mm-hmm. communities and all our communities. So, yes. so much love, everyone. Besitos, Feliz Navidad, Mm -hmm. and we will see you all soon.
Bye. Take care, everyone. Thank you all so much for participating in today's wonderful podcast. As always, it's such a joy and an honor to share in the space with all of you and hold the space together as a collective. I invite you to support my life's work on Teachable. For those of you that would like continuing education units, Teachable will be the go-to for your membership. I'm looking forward to growing together and meeting you all. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram and introduce yourself. I would love to follow you back and subscribe to our YouTube channel for free classes that are posted weekly. Looking forward to our next chat together and I'll see you online, in person, in an immersion or on this podcast. See you soon. From my heart to yours, much love and namaste.